Good morning. Thanks for joining me today as we're in God's Word together, studying through the book of Romans, verse by verse. We've been looking in chapter 1 at some broad concepts. Number one, the wonder of the gospel, how it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And we've been looking at why we need that power, because all of us are sinners and separated from God. More than that, God says all of us are making choices, have made choices in our life to reject what can be known about him. And there are consequences coming to our lives of such rejection. In verses 24 and 26 and 28, God says, in response to our rejection of him, God gives us over to the power of sin. And that giving over to the power of sin in our lives influences us in different ways. And now we're looking at some of the proofs of that. Uh, let me read in verse 24 and 25, which we began to look at yesterday. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever." In this last part of the first chapter, God is explaining three areas that give proof to the fact that we've been given up, that we've been given over to the power of sin. The first area is the captivity that human beings show to impurity, sexual immorality. The second area is the reality of sexual perversion within the human condition. And finally, the debased mind is shown in the final verses. Yesterday we were looking at these verses I read to you today and trying to get some sense of this impurity that is being talked about. God giving them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies. People express under the control and influence of sin heterosexual urges improperly. God is the one who created us with sexuality. And sexuality, both in the man and the woman, is a wonderful thing and an enriching thing when expressed in the context of God's plan. And that plan is a marriage committed relationship between a husband, a man, and a wife. When heterosexual urges get expressed outside of that context, not only is it sin, but it is also destructive, ultimately hurting to us. People are driven to immorality, the expressing of sexuality outside of marriage. They are driven, as it put it here, by the lusts of their hearts toward that impurity. We talked yesterday about the fact that that Greek word translated impurity includes such things as adultery, which is sexual involvement with someone when you are married who is not your spouse. It includes fornication, which is how God sees all sexual involvement outside the context of marriage by those who are not married. It doesn't matter that you say, well, I like this person or I love that person or we're mutually agreeing to something. It's all fornication, sin in God's eyes. Pornography, intellectual, mental sorts of sexuality are also included under this word of impurity. The point that we saw yesterday, and I want to build on today, is that God tells us that sexual expression 
the God-given sexuality that he has for us. When we express it outside of the context of marriage, it always hurts us and always hurts other people. The inevitable outcome, given the terminology of the verses I read to you, is dishonored bodies, a degraded body in some sort of way. Now here's the interesting point. The world culture in which all of us find ourselves is a culture created by rebel humanity, people out of right relationship with God. And so it should come as no surprise to us that the culture in which we find ourselves actually glorifies what the scripture is describing is a dishonorable, degraded sexuality. The world's view of the proper expression of sexuality is in direct conflict with God's word about the proper expression of sexuality. And it doesn't take long to understand that. The books that you would read, the TV shows you might watch, the movies you might see, the music you would listen to, the advertising that you hear. One dominating message comes through the vast majority of such things, and it is this, that sinful, biblically sinful expressions of sexuality are not wrong. In fact, even more, such expressions of sexuality are good and normal, proper and healthy. That is the dominant message that everyone encounters from their earliest years, then continue to encounter as they seek to live life in this world. The culture around us, in affirming what God says is wrong to do and ultimately hurts us, contributes to the widespread slavery to dishonorable sexuality. What's even more uh, ironic is that in the current world, the world system, the cultures in which we find ourselves, tends to label Bible-believing groups as unhealthy because they believe that the Bible's message about human sexuality is wrong. So when you stand for the biblical message, they look at you as being unhealthy and distorted. Well, you are different from the culture around you, but it's the culture that's distorted and unhealthy, not you. The church is not narrow and out of touch, not negative and condemning, when it holds the line on what God has to say about sexuality. Because God who loved us and created us knows what's best for sexuality. He knows the proper expressions and those expressions that ultimately harm us and harm others. We are being biblical when we stand on what God has said about it. We are being biblical when we determine that we want to use God's gift of sexuality in an honorable and not degrading fashion. Here's the point. Sexual expression outside of marriage always hurts us, and it always hurts other people. Yesterday I read to you from 1 Corinthians 6.18 where it says of all the sins, this type of sin, of sexual sin, actually sins against our own body. It actually hurts our body and hurts others. The seriousness of this is seen not merely in the fact 
that there could be unwanted pregnancies as a result or sexually transmitted diseases as a result, although those are serious outcomes. The seriousness of unbridled sexuality, of impurity, and giving yourself over to impurity is that it corrupts your very personhood. It corrupts your purity. It leaves scars and influences for the rest of your life. One of the things that will happen when someone comes to know Christ and starts to be honest with themselves and honest with God is that they inevitably will admit that whatever seemingly high and noble things were driving immoral behavior in their life prior to this, prior to getting right with God, they looked at it now with regret. They looked at it as ultimately something that was a negative, not a positive. You know, it's so common for me in marriage counseling with, uh, with young Christian couples where the wife or the husband who got involved in sexual involvement with one another prior to getting married and doing having sexuality within God's purpose and plan will look back on those times and they will say, now as time goes by, we realize this hurt us, didn't help us. And we wish that that hadn't happened. We wish we could have done it differently. Sin leaves scars and influences. And when we're honest, we will admit that to ourselves. Slavery to impurity, which is the context of verses 24 and 25, becomes a proof to us that we are given up to the enslaving and destructive effects of sin. Now, starting in verse 26 and in 27, God turns our attention to a second proof and expression of that being given over to the power of sin. And that is sexual expression taking the form of sexual perversion. Perversion defined by God's word. Join me tomorrow as we begin to unfold verses 26 and 27 and look at this second proof of being given over in rebellion against God to the degrading effects of sexuality. God bless.